God's taken rebellious individuals from all over the world because they are of the nation of Israel and God can bring them back into their land. And God can create that desire, that hunger, they want to go into their own homeland and have it all again. And they always say, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. So he says these two sticks are going to be made into one. You know, there's a Israel and Judah, and they'll come together, become one nation. Well, if you go over there, you look, there's, there's one nation. It says in verse 19, saying to them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph which is the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. They shall be one in mine hand. One nation, once again. You see, because of Solomon, and after he died, the kingdom was divided, and God says, in the last days, I'm going to bring them back, and they're going to be one nation. And the Bible talks about in the book of Hosea in chapter 4, I believe it is, and he says, he says, they parted my land. They parted my land. See, they're dividing up the land over there and say, you know, you give land for peace. You don't give any Arab land for peace. Not as a nation of Israel. Because they don't want just a little land. They want all of your land. You don't have a right to that land. And they want it all. But when you check the scriptures, you find that the Bible was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Muhammad ever showed up. And their writings don't compare it with these writings. This was first. In their book, the Koran, it talks about the people of the book. And the people of the book is the nation of Israel, the Jews of the book, which is the Bible. So, this was first. There's this last if you will, look now in verse 21. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and will bring them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation. See up here when it says one stick, that's how I know he's talking about one nation. He's going to do it. And he makes this statement. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. This is what God says, I'm going to do this. Now remember, this was written almost 600 years before Christ ever came. Telling what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. You see, it, don't, it hasn't all yet been fulfilled. Parts of it has, but it ain't done yet. Israel has been under the dominion of Gentile nations, even when Christ was here, it was under the iron heel of Rome. And so God says that He's um, going to destroy the temple, the walls, the city. Jews would be scattered. It happened again. See, it happened before with Assyria and with Babylon, and then it happens again. History repeats itself because people don't usually learn their lessons. Remember, America is only 200 years old, a little over 200 years old. Look at all the things that we've done in just 200 years. Israel has been around for almost 4,000 years. That's a long time, ain't it? And get what he says here. 
He says in verse 24, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes and do them. So we haven't had it yet where David has been here. But he's coming. This is talking about David. Now you say, well, they're not just talking about the lineage of David. Okay, that would mean um, Christ. Because there is no king past Christ. Jesus Christ, when he was here, is the only one, even at that time, that had the right to claim the throne of Israel. There was nobody else could claim the throne. He had the right to claim the throne. That's why you have the genealogy given in the book of Matthew and also shown it again in the book of Luke. One through Mary and one through Joseph. That he had the right, legal right, to claim the throne of Israel. And whenever he died, nobody else has the right to claim the throne. Because none of them from that line could claim the throne because it goes to Jeconiah and it was a curse put upon the line. And only because of the virgin birth could the next person have the right to be the king. He couldn't have a sinful nature. Interesting. So, hold your place here. Look in Psalms 30, uh, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. And look here in verse 23. Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. He says, And I will set up one shepherd over them. He shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, L-O-R-D, caps, Jehovah, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. So if he spoke it, it's supposed to be, hey, you can count on this. This is money in the bank. I said this is what's going to take place. In verse 25, and I will make with them a covenant of peace. And will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. They shall dwell safely, sleep, all these things. And then in verse 26, the last part of verse 26, there shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of God, <laughs> Jehovah, the promise of the Lord. Showers of blessing. It's coming. All the bad things that God says going to happen, going to happen. And the tribulation period that's right ahead of us, the worst period of time the world's ever known, is because God is going to judge His people, the nation of Israel. And God says, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, He says, And I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. God is going to do that. He's going to have all the nations turn against Israel. How does it look? Looking pretty good like that, huh? God says he's going to do what? Because he's going to show the world the improbability, the impossibility of a little old sliver of land, a little old handful of people is going to be able to whoop the world. And only because of what God says, I will do this, I will do this. Not only so that my people will know that I am God, but so that the world will know that I am God. Hold your place right there and just look over there in Ezekiel in 30, 39, verse 39. I just want to show you this verse real quick. Verse 28 says there in chapter 39, he says, Then shall they know that I am the Lord. 
their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them into their own land and have left none of them anymore there. Neither will I hide my face anymore from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Because I want them to know who did it. I did it. These are my people, and I'm going to protect them. They cannot be annihilated because, see, the nation of Israel is like a person in the Old Testament as an individual, like a saved man. You see, I can't lose my salvation any more than you can wipe out the nation of Israel and kill all the Jews. They will always be a remnant. And even today, even though God's people, we may stumble, we fall, we mess up, whatever it is, but God says, you're still my child. He cannot unborn you. God had made promises to Israel, to the nation of Israel. God has to fulfill. God has to keep His word. So just look back there again now in chapter 34, where he makes a statement in verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. Then there will be a covenant of peace. Then verse 26, There shall be showers of blessing. So you go down through here. Now look there in verse 29. And I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. God is doing what He's doing because He's going to show the world. He's going to show the world. And um, I, I want you to see that. So let's go on over there to chapter 38. Chapter 38. Here you have a very simple little story about a place called, and most Bible scholars believe it's a place called Russia. North of Israel, the place called Rosh. And there is the place of Gog and Magog. Magog, the land, and Gog, the prince. So it's the prince of Rosh, Russia. And the Bible says that they're going to come down from the north against that little tiny nation of Israel. You know one of the reasons that America has spent billions and billions of dollars feeding to all these Arab nations? Because they don't want Russia to get them. They don't want Russia to be the satellite to them. So we make agreements with them and pay you all this money so that you'll leave Russia out of it. Because you don't trust Russia. It's a bear. You don't trust that bear. But what's going on right now, see, the Bible says in the last days, it says that Iraq and Iran, called Persia, and Libya, Ethiopia, and Turkey, these nations are going to side with Russia. And if you notice that it's Russia right now that's giving a lot of stuff to a place like Iran, sending missiles and things like that into Syria, we got our hands full. Something has to happen in a drastic way to cause the Arab nations to accept Israel's right to exist as a people and their right to exist in that land and the right to rebuild their temple. What's it going to take? Something has to happen. And it doesn't look like it's going to come from America. Unless somehow Israel is able to take out somebody like Iran. Now if I was Israel, 
And I was Benjamin Netanyahu, and I had to consider the, the consequences that if America don't stand with us and don't draw the red line and don't tell them what they can't do and make sure militarily they don't do it, they're going to destroy annihilate them. So what would you do? If I knew I had to take you out or you were going to annihilate us, I wouldn't wait. But they also know that how does this little sliver of land take on 50-something countries all at one time? And not knowing if America will really stand with you. Wouldn't that be a scary scenario to be in? Because once you go after Iran and you don't really know how it's going to turn out, you realize you may have just signed your death warrant. So how is it going to cause peace in the Middle East then? Unless Israel does something miraculous. I don't know any other way to put it. I don't really have all the answers. I just know it sure is getting exciting. I can't wait till the next day to see what's going to happen next. Anyway, just some things to think about. But something else I wanted you to see. And if you will, uh, look there in Ezekiel chapter 38. And when he makes this statement like in verse, um, oh, verse 5, Persia, which is Iraq and Iran, Ethiopia and Libya, they're going to be on the same side with Russia. Isn't it amazing that 2,500 years ago it said that? And that God says, I'm going to bring them down against my people Israel. In chapter 39, there's a, well, the Russia loses that battle. But let me just show you this. See there in verse uh, 15 where he says, And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Thou and many people with thee. Look in verse 16. Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel. So he's telling them, you're going to come against Israel. I am going to bring you down. See in verse 4 where he says, And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. God's going to do this. See, people think they're just doing what they want to do. I got an idea. And God's the one that can cause people to think certain things and do certain things. God says the rivers run according to the banks. And God can change the hearts of men to fulfill His will. That's interesting. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, where God says, until they have fulfilled His will. They don't know they're fulfilling His will because God can use the wickedness of man to accomplish his purpose. Look what else he says. See there in verse 16. I will bring thee against my land that the heathen. You ought to underline this. That the heathen may know me. This is one of the things. See I want my people to know me. But I want the heathen to know me. And so God says that he's going to do all of this. And this is what's going to happen. And it's going to happen. Look down here in verse 23. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known. I will be known. I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know I'm the Lord. See, all of this is going on. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's about people knowing who God is. What is God like? 
God wants himself to be known in the minds of every individual. You see, even talk about eternal life and knowing that you have eternal life and know that you're going to heaven. And when you read the prayer that Jesus prayed in the book of John chapter 17, he says, whom to know, whom to know is life eternal. That they may know thee, the only true wise eternal God, that you may know God. It's all about knowing. That's why we talked about somebody, you know, and we talked about, do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Salvation is because you know God. You know the Lord. You don't know the Lord until you're saved. Then you know the Lord. But after you trust that Christ has saved you, the Bible talks about there's so much more that God wants us to know. Do we know the Lord? I'll look down in verse 7 of chapter 39. Where he makes a statement, so will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And get this, and the heathen shall know that I am Jehovah, I am the Lord. Not Allah. God, the true God, has a son. Allah does not have a son. Allah is not God. See how simple that is? And he makes this statement that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And as you go through the book of Isaiah, the phrase the Holy One, the Holy One, the Holy One is always a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But anyway. And then you have to look there in verse 22. Look in verse 22. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day and forward. And then look in verse 23. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them. And gave them into the hand of their enemies, so fell they all by the sword. Does that make it pretty clear why those bad things happened to Israel? Because they rebelled against the Lord. And God said, I brought all this to pass. Because, see, if you serve the Lord, God's going to bless you. If you don't serve the Lord, God can use anything, anybody, to whoop you. He would take a nation and use them as a rod across the back of his child Israel. And then after he has used that nation to chasten his people, he then will use another nation and break that rod. That's found in the book of Habakkuk. Interesting study. I need to teach the book of Habakkuk again. Great book. But look what he says here. So in verse 22, So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from the day forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity from that because of their iniquity and because they trespassed against me. So God says this is what happened to them and this is why it happened. Now, look there in verse 25. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. Then he says in verse 27, When I have brought them again, 
from the people, gathered them out of their enemies' land, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. See, God is allowing all the nations of the world. Do they know who Israel is? You know, there's some little countries, you don't even know who they are. You can't even pronounce their name. Never hear about them. They never do anything. I bet you every nation knows where Israel is. I bet everybody knows the story of Israel. I mean, I like it, don't agree with it, but they know about it. And God's going to use that little old nation to whoop all the nations of the earth. And isn't it going to be amazing that Israel will become the greatest nation upon the earth in the kingdom? The little mustard seed that grows and becomes a great tree. And that all the other ones come and live in the branches of this great nation. It's going to be awesome. Then in verse 28, then shall they know, then shall they know, then shall they know. This is what he was after all along. That I am the Lord, their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them into their own land and have left none of them anymore there. Neither will I hide my face anymore. See, all these years, they've always wanted to See God. See God. They saw the Shekinah glory when it came and it beheld the presence of God in the tabernacle. And when it would move and they would follow and so forth. But to see the face of God. Because you see it says right over there that he, in verse 23, where he says, Therefore hid I my face from them. And over here he says, I will not hide my face anymore. Over here, he hid his face because of their sin. But see, now, it's because he's dealt with their sin. They have believed on the Messiah. They saw him coming back in power and great glory. They saw the scars in his hands, and it says, where did you get those? And he says, I came the first time in the house of my friends. It's a wonderful story. A natural man could not make up this stuff. This is one perfect book. It deserves to be read. It deserves to be believed. God deserves to be known. He deserves everything. He is God. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God says that he loves us. He loves every one of us. But he hates what we do wrong. He hates our sin. And because of sin, you can't see God. There's a barrier. Because God is a holy God. He's perfect. He's righteous. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are. But because we've all sinned, we're all condemned. Eternal separation from the Lord. But God loves us. Just like in spite of how bad Israel was, God still loved them. And God still loves us. Look how bad we are. We do the same thing just like the nation of Israel. We want our own way, go our own way. We live half our lives in the wilderness, getting beat up half the time. And most time we never learn our lesson. But God still loves us. He says you cannot save yourself. You cannot earn your way to heaven. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord, God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, 
didn't have to die. So he took all of our sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And he said that if you or I, if we would believe, he did it for us. He would put the payment that he made to our account. We get to go to heaven on what Christ did. You see, you don't earn that. You don't work your way to heaven. You do not join a church to go to heaven. You don't stop your sins to go to heaven. You don't promise to be good to go to heaven. You have to accept Christ and him alone, believing he died for your sins. See, if he paid for my sins, then I don't have to pay for them. All I have to do is believe he did it for me. Some people call that easy believism. Well, I don't have a right to make it hard. We want hard believism. It ought to be easy. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Even little children can understand it. Then it must be easy. It must be something you can hear and understand. And trust the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're watching by internet, we pray that what we've said makes sense to you. We want you to know Christ as your Savior. The Lord says that you may know Him, that you may know Him. So the question is, is, do you know Him? Do you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that He died on that cross, paid for your sins, and if you trust Him, He'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. If you've never trusted Him, would you do it right now? You don't have a guarantee on life. Don't know if you'll ever see tomorrow. But right now, right where you are, and you say, that made sense to me. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I will trust Christ as my Savior tonight. And I'd like you to know it. And I'd like you to pray for me. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. But friend, I would like to know. And I would like to have prayer for you. So if you're trusting Christ as your Savior tonight, and you've never done it before, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? There went off. If you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. And because you're God's child, you're going to heaven. Because you're going to heaven, he'll never cast you out and never lose you. But he wants us to serve him, not to get to heaven, but because we're going there. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you, Father, for your word that's given to us so that we can know the things that will happen in the days in which we live. Lord, we do pray for our leadership in our country. We want to live a quiet, peaceful life. We do want our government to protect our rights and our freedom. And Father, there's are those that would love to take it away. But Father, we also pray for the little nation of Israel. You say pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we love the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And pray, Lord, you put a hedge about them to protect them. Help them to know exactly what they should do. And Lord, work those miracles that has to be done in order to preserve them. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.